If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Sometimes, sometimes in life, sometimes in life, you're so giddy, you have a great interview, you get the show ready, everything is looking up, you hit the button that says open, music, MX, and then you hit the button that says open, but you didn't make an open. So then you panic for the song plays for 28 seconds. But you know what? <laughs> That's all right. Today is a great day. It is a great and fun day. Congratulations to Alice Shattuck. We are going to be speaking to Ron Drerer. Rod Drerer. Rod, Rod Drerer in a second. You know, sir, you know why you're so good at saying Drerer? Because you're, so <laughs> you're so good at saying rural. If you haven't heard my wife say rural yet. Stop. Rural. What's uh, the difference? What's the opposite of urban, Alice? Just say it. Rural. 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 It's, it's, it's a medium-sized dog barking. <laughs> rural. Rural. All right. That's, um, so Roger people... is great as a cool and great guy, and it was nice talking to him today. We need to talk to him for a long, lot more time than we did today. Go ahead. Some Alice. people um, would take offense at being called a medium-sized dog. <laughs> We are medium sized. I mean, you're very, you're very uh, um, pretty, and you also and nice have a person. problem with how I say February. No, well, that's just a jerky thing. <laughs> that's one of those kids who went to one of the schools where it's all wooden toys and very. <laughs> and sometimes you probably um, ride horses. You I know? did go to that school. February. <laughs> I oh, did God. go to that school, and I that's say February. Thing. How do you say rural? Rural. <laughs> I get through rural? it, Alice. It's not a word to enjoy. It's a word to get through. Rural. Rural. <laughs> But, you know, in the good side, uh, everybody, there is good news. Pfizer has announced that it's looking good for their new vaccine. Maybe having a couple months. Uh, 90% efficacy in this particular one. Which Didn't we just write about this over the weekend? Did I write about this? Or did my ghostwriter write about this? Did, what happened? Did I write about I wrote about no, this. No, you didn't. You wrote about the polls. No, I wrote about uh, for Saturday, about the vaccine. Finally, a little good news, I think, was the lead. Oh, somewhere. yeah, yeah. About... Vaccines coming out in general, but not this one in particular. This is the only one I didn't write about, the one that's ready? I think you didn't write about Pfizer. Oh, Because yeah. they God. were part of Operation Warp Speed, I Get guess. your rural together, Tom. I missed <laughs> it. But, okay, so this vaccine is coming. This is so great. Just when you think. Just when you think. And, and I realize that we've been dealing with 
there are a lot of upset people, and we've been dealing with emotions here. But just when you think maybe the world might, you know, come together in a way that makes sense, uh, no, you're wrong. I mean, we've all been together here this week while the incredible sadness has been wall to wall. The not, not sadness, the sadness, the release of the sadness. We saw it, we heard it. Respected people who get paid a lot of money. Walked in front of a TV camera. Oddly, these, it never happens in the green room when these emotions just overrun. Uh, you know the capacity to hold them back. Never happens in the green room. Never happens in the middle of a segment. It always happens right when the camera's on you. It's your turn to talk. It's almost as if there's theater involved in this, but wouldn't couldn't be. But we've heard all of this stuff this week. Character matters. It matters. Telling the truth matters. Being a good person matters. I don't know why I'm crying so much, but what got me choked up was the picture of the cab driver. And so I'm very emotional. Jesus. So when you ask me how I'm feeling right now, I'm sorry. That's all I can tell you. This is how I feel right now. Nobody knows what it feels like as a black man um, to be able to speak in this moment. <laughs> this is Colbert crying, if you need to know. If you're an immigrant, you don't have to worry if the president's going to be happier to have babies snatched away or send dreamers back for no reason. I started crying again when I heard the bell from Paris. I keep crying. I'm going to cry now. Go away from me. You're going to make me cry. We don't care who you are. We don't care if you voted for us or not. This is vindication for a lot of people who have really... Suffered. Okay, so what kind of ailment could um, cause somebody to act like that? Now, by the way, there's a new ailment as well, and this one is people, politicians like um, like um, Andrew Cuomo. Is it Andrew Cuomo, Governor Andrew Cuomo, mm -hmm. who now that there's a vaccine coming down the down the pike, should be all uh, excited. You know, he wrote a book about how he single handedly beat the coronavirus, mm -hmm. and he barely, barely thirty thousand people dead in New York. And he sells posters. He's got all sorts of merch ready for this stuff. You'd figure that he'd be the first one to jump at the vaccine. What do you make of this news? Uh, well, it's it's good news, bad news, George. The good news is uh, the Pfizer tests look good and we'll have a vaccine shortly. The bad news is uh, that it's about two months before Joe Biden takes over. And that means this administration is going to be implementing a vaccine plan. I believe it, it learns nothing from the past. They're basically going to have the private providers do it. And that's going to leave out all sorts of communities that were left out the first time uh, when COVID ravaged. This is an insane man. Saying with a straight face, yes, it's good news, bad news. Yeah, there's a vaccine, but the, the way that it's going to be dispensed and the way it goes around the bureaucracy we're used to, the fact that there's a vaccine already right now that is out there is incredibly just good news, end of story, that's it. But it's in this administration. So, you know what, he's still, this guy is a disaster. He is the author of bleeping up this vac this, this, uh, this pandemic and what he did in, in the incompetence in New York City is absolutely remarkable. Remarkable. I don't even know. Ugh, I don't even know where you would start with something like this. Guy is, that's fine. He's not, he's crazy. That's fine. But crazy is really the main, uh, you know, gist of 2020. The main performance that we've seen in 2020 from people, and it's almost everybody on the left. Sure, the president's a little crazy, no doubt about that. But people on the left, are that these people are insane. We're free, they said two days ago, feeling like they were actually free. You have other people out there saying, finally, we can breathe. Finally, we can breathe. Simply because there's a new president. There's a new one every four years. This one is especially bad, especially racist. This one, this guy did more, you know, civil rights legislation than anybody in the last 50 years you kidding me he's got to, he, he got increased the black vote he brought black prosperity to a, a new pinnacle for this country it's like oh this is it's all role-playing and it's insanity and thankfully we brought on rod Dreher to help us a little bit 
to um, figure out how the hell we got here and what this stuff is all about. You should follow him. It's at Rod, Rod, R-O-D. Rod Rural, Alice. (laughs) Dreher. How do you spell his last name? D-R-E-H-E-R. You should be following him on Twitter if you're not already. He's a great, he was great to talk to him. He's a great guy, mm-hmm. great guest. He wrote yeah. a book, which we will talk all about as well. It's all in there. And uh, here we go. Rod Dreher. Okay, we are talking to Rod Dreher. You probably know him from uh, Twitter, any number of books. He's a senior editor at the American Conservatives. Conservative. He's written and edited for New York Post, to Dallas Morning News, National Review, uh, among others. He's also the author of the new book, Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents, which my wife has just finished reading, and she's uh, thrilled uh, to be speaking. We're both thrilled to be speaking to you, Rod. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So uh, before we just dive into the book, uh, it looks now uh, like a However many times they recount the votes, we've got a president-elect Joe Biden, um, a Republican Senate, and uh, a nation that we're told is uh, is reuniting, although I tend not to notice a lot of that. Um, what's the temperature out there, Rod? How are you feeling about uh, where we stand right now? You know, actually, I feel pretty good about it. And I say that as someone who uh, did not vote for Joe Biden, but uh, it looks like the Republicans will control the Senate. Uh, we won't know for sure until January, but it, things are looking good. And frankly, this election showed that there is not a lot of support, a majority, nothing close to a majority support for wokeness and a lot of the hmm. cultural liberalism, which is the thing that really worries me. Uh, I'm trying to think about maybe with Trump out of the way, the Republicans might be able to take the best parts of Trumpism and make it into an actual governing philosophy, because that was one of the things that drove me crazy about Trump is that he just didn't have the focus to follow through on a lot of the really great things he talked about. Maybe now that will change. But I'll tell you this, uh, Tom, we cannot uh, expect that there will be anything other than uh, hostility towards conservatives under this administration. Now they have the power of the executive branch to go along with the power that they have and institutions such as media, uh, academia, woke uh, corporations, and so forth. So it's going to be a, a, a tough go for us. But I'm I'm hopeful that you know at the at the next election in 2022 that we'll have a strong showing. So, Rod, it's interesting. <clears throat> you talk about the conservatives. You know, we've obviously got some brand issues right now. But there is serious talk about truth and reconciliation committees. There are all sorts of lists going around. I'm sure you're on most of them. Um, and, you know, we've had people suggest that there needs to be a, it's a reckoning for what's happened in the last four years, that this is something that's bigger than politics. This is a dark cloud of um, fascism that's being lifted. Uh, now, are these people role playing or do they, do they believe this? Oh, I'm sure they believe it. I mean, we've seen... This happened within institutions that the left controls over the last few years. Again, universities and media and so forth. And uh, I think they absolutely believe it. And the, that's why I say the best way to understand where the left is today, the, the progressive tip of the spear, is not as a political movement as much as a religious movement. Politics is their religion, and they are going to be hunting for heretics. Yeah, but well... <laughs> What does that mean for you? I mean, are, are we going on the run? I, I, I think you can be traced back to a problematic book uh, that's currently available and everywhere. This is true, but you know what? I I am not worried about it. I expect they'll come after me, but uh, I'm going to stand my ground. And this book that I've written, "Live Not by Lies," that's it's out right now. Uh, in the in the book, I went and talked to people in the former Eastern Bloc, the former Soviet Bloc, mm-hmm. about what they had to go through under hard totalitarianism. That is to say, when there were gulags and secret police. And I got to tell you, the the inspiration that these people give to me makes me not afraid of anything. But here's the thing, though, Tom, we have to be prepared to suffer. That is the key that I learned from talking to the dissidents from the Soviet Bloc, they said that if Americans are not prepared to really suffer, uh, suffer loss of status, maybe even your loss of your job, or if things, if worse comes to worse, loss of your freedom, if you're not willing to do that for the sake of your principles and your faith, then you're going to get rolled over. Well, it, be prepared to suffer. Um, that sounds ominous. 
I mean, how existential is that? You just said the loss of job. I understand cancel culture is already all over the place. So it's something that happens now. And you can be destroyed in on social media, certainly easily. But how much should we, we be uh, girding our loins here? How? Well, I, I think quite substantially. Look at what's happening right there in Massachusetts to Jody Shaw at Smith College. Are you aware of that situation out there? I'm not sure. Are you? I'm yeah. not. No. Oh, it's incredible. You, you can go find her on YouTube, mm-hmm. Jody, J-O-D-I Shaw. She is an employee at Smith College um, in Northampton, you mm-hmm. know, which is the, the, the heart of whiteness right. and uh, <laughs> a, a progressive whiteness. And she just spoke up and said, I'm really sick and tired of all of this atmosphere that they've created at this college where they make me feel ashamed to be white. You know, and, and she said, I'm a lifelong liberal. She is not a conservative. Mm-hmm. She's just so sick and tired of this racialized atmosphere. And she's spoken out publicly about it. Well, you can imagine what it's like for her at working at Smith College right. and living in Northampton to take that kind of stand. But she has not given up. I call her the Norma Ray of the <laughs> anti-woke movement. Uh, I've uh, connected her to uh, my friend Tucker Carlson, and I'm hoping he'll bring some national attention there. It's people like Jody who just doesn't care. I mean, she she told me that she's getting it, it, she's become a pariah in her community but she's standing up for what she knows is right. Mm-hmm. I think we need to not only take uh, take an, her as a good example of what to do, but all of us who are in the resistance need to rush to her aid. And we've got to stand with each other and expose these people when they come after, uh, when they come after us in this way. Right. And um, I think I read a recent interview of yours where you said that two of your favorite podcasts to listen to are you know, Joe Rogan and Bridget Phetasy. And, you know, neither of those are what you would think of as Christian dissidents, certainly. Um, But one part that I thought was really interesting of the book was when you talked about having to build coalitions and how in these Eastern Bloc countries, a lot of times the Christian dissidents did work together with secular liberals and other people who just you know, weren't getting along with the regime. Some of them were even actually Marxists who just didn't think they had it right yet. Um, And, you know, to find common ground with those groups of people and be able to work with them and stand with them, even if they weren't necessarily, you know, even if they didn't agree on some of these other fundamental issues. I mean, how important do you think that is, especially in the United States, where there are so many kind of secular liberals? Oh, it's absolutely critical. I mean, I I was really shocked and pleased to see that Heather Hying and Brett Weinstein on their Dark Horse podcast, they spent... An, an entire show, episode 50, talk about my book, Live Not By Lies. Now, these, they're not conservatives. They're not Christians. They're atheists. But they recognize that the threat is the same to all of us. Uh, this is one of the important things that I learned from, as you know, you, you read the book, mm-hmm. Alice. Uh, I learned from people like Camilla Bendova, who was one of the leaders. She was a, is a Catholic and was one of the leaders of Václav Havel's circle there in Prague under communism. She said, as you did, as you pointed out, there just weren't enough Christians there to make any sort of uh, Christian d- uh, dissenting mm-hmm. group. So uh, they made these uh, alliances. There was even a Trotskyist there <laughs> in among Havel's group in Prague. But you know, Trotskyist though he was, he hated what communism had become. So uh, I'm excited about the prospect of mm-hmm. of making these alliances uh, across uh, narrow ideological and religious lines. Barry Weiss, somebody else, mm-hmm. she's fairly liberal. Uh, secular Jew, uh, but she she's acted very bravely at the times in calling out cancel culture within that newspaper and quitting her job over it, right. too. Nobody gets jobs at the New York Times. That is like the pinnacle of journalism, but she mm-hmm. left rather than submit to that culture. Uh, Barry has uh, had good things to say about my book. I think right now, one of the, the most important things that we can do, uh, whether we are uh, Christian or non-religious, libertarian, conservative, if we are against wokeness, we need to find each other and and come together and talk about a strategy and support each other. Uh, Just today on my blog, I'm going to be writing about how in the UK, banks are now dropping far-right people uh, from their accounts or saying, or locking them out of the economy. Uh, some of these far right people are completely obnoxious and horrible. There's one who's an anti-Semite, which I find abhorrent. Nevertheless, this 
principle that that people who have objectionable political views ought to still have the right to have a bank account and be part of the economy. Right. It's an important one to defend because this mm-hmm. is what the whole um, in China, the, the social credit system, that's what it does in China. It locks anybody who's a dissenter, no matter where they come from, mm-hmm. out of the economy. I think we're going to see that sort of thing here if we don't stand up to it or pretty soon. Well, right. And and even kind of softer totalitarianism, even than that, you know, we saw a lot over the summer of these Black Lives Matter protests where, like you mentioned about Smith College, most of Massachusetts is a total hotbed of white liberalism. And, you know, we <clears throat> moved from one town that was really, really, really a hotbed of white liberalism to one that was like slightly less of one that was a little more rural, but we still have friends out in this one that that is extremely liberal. And, you know, they had a Black Lives Matter protest and people felt that they had to go. They had mm-hmm. people calling them up or texting them and saying, you know, you are going to be at this, right? And people felt compelled that they had to go. They had to raise their fists in the air or they weren't going to have friends. They weren't going to have a social group. Their kid was going to be ostracized at school. And, you know, if that's the kind of pressure that American you know, just sort of average moderates can't stand against. It's a little scary for the future when, you know, they shut you out of your bank account. Yeah, that, that's absolutely the case. And we, right now, we're going to be tested. We've all been tested this year by the Black Lives Matter movement and other woke movements. If we can't stand even the possibility of, uh, of becoming social pariahs, how in the world are we going to stand against real persecution? Uh, the, the Black Lives Matter movement is really a difficult test because nobody wants to be racist. Nobody should want to be racist. Right. Uh, but it is so illiberal, right? I, I'm 53 mm-hmm. years old. I was brought up on the teachings of Martin Luther King about only judging people, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Well, we see in Black Lives Matter, they're doing exactly what the Bolsheviks did, which is to say that your identity is the the thing on which we must judge you. And Bolshevism, you know, after the Russian Revolution, it was class identity. It didn't matter what you had done or what you had said. It mattered which class you belonged to. If you were part of the middle class or the the rich farmers, you were dead or you were going to be sent to prison. That was the only thing that mattered. And I think we are repeating that. I, I don't think I know we're repeating that. But this time, the markers are identity politics, race, sexual orientation and gender identity, that sort of thing. Right, exactly. And and I think in some ways, the race is a playbook for the gender ideology stuff that will come after, you know, that, well, obviously, everybody's against racism. So you're going to come out and support the anti racism stuff, right? And then, um, you know, next step is this and next step is this. And before you know it, you've agreed to a whole host of things that you never thought you would be agreeing to before. Um, but, you know, we're in Massachusetts, so we see it in a very sort of liberal way. That's part of why we moved almost into New Hampshire, but not quite. You're you're on the front lines for sure. I, I remember back in uh, the year 2000, I was a columnist at the New York post and, and I remember doing a piece about, I I forget exactly what the the details were, but it was something that happened in Boston where a state agency did a really disgusting form of sex education for high school students where there was like some LGBT leaders. uh, It involved bananas and just you can imagine the rest but it was it was recorded by a parent a couple of parents who mm-hmm. went there and they made this public the boston media did not want to write about it at all and in fact they turned on the parents for exposing mm-hmm. what their kids were being taught in this public school situation mm-hmm. that taught me a lot about about how the media uh just coalesces and refuses to talk about anything that would violate the narrative. And this poor family, you, I, I think you might even know them. I, I think it was a mass resistance. That's what became oh, okay, of their, yes. right, right, right. I think that's what became of their, their, their group, but they really suffered. Uh, uh, they were made into horrible pariahs. And mm-hmm. I think they even suffered financially simply for standing up. Right. I mean, Massachusetts, there's a lot of that certainly. Um, and And, you know, both in the Democrat and Republican parties, they're honestly not that different in Massachusetts for the most part. Home of the Puritans. (laughs) So, um, 
you know, we, we have a lot of that here. Um, but one thing I've noticed, too, that to me is kind of a hopeful sign is I feel like a few years ago when the Benedict option came out, there was a lot of like, oh, this is silly. We don't really need to, you know, reject society completely and sort of like almost over-interpreting what the book was trying to say, right. but but saying it was alarmist and it wasn't really necessary. But I almost think that this whole coronavirus thing has like accelerated families that are naturally more conservative, naturally more Christian into that. Um, you know, I'm Orthodox. I'm working on Tom. He was raised <laughs> Protestant. <laughs> we're trying. He's a little scared of our church still, but we're, we're trying. But, um, you know, we raise our kids Orthodox and you know, I have a number of Serbian Orthodox families, a lot of whom have seen communism at work that are in our parish. You know, I know four other families off the top of my head just from our parish that pulled their kids out of school this year and said, we're not messing around with this remote learning and this Zoom and the back and forth and kids wearing masks in school. And, you know, we'll just keep them home and we'll educate them ourselves. And a lot of those parents, I think, were already kind of borderline because of the ideological stuff that was happening in school. And then, you know, when this came, they kind of said, fine, we'll just all be at home. We'll raise chickens and right. have a garden and homeschool our kids. And so I was like, oh, the Benedict option is coming true. Do you, are you seeing <laughs> you more of that, too, now because of this lifestyle change? Yeah, you know, I, I think that it makes sense that this is happening because we have been shattered. I mean, our, our complacency this year with COVID has been shattered. I remember, Alice, back when I finished the final manuscript of Live Not By Lies, which mm -hmm. is a sequel to the Benedict Option right. of sorts. Uh, I turned it in in early March to the publisher, and I remember thinking, how in the world am I going to convince readers that it really is true that some of the things that were part of communism are now finding are being, being articulated again and coming into power here mm -hmm. in this country, and that these people who lived under communism, they're not crazy. If I couldn't, couldn't get American Christians to take the Benedict option seriously, how will they take this seriously? Right. Well, then COVID hit, and then the George Floyd thing hit. And by the time the book came out, I'm thinking, I don't need to really try to convince people. The headlines, the daily headlines convince people. The world that we live in is so fragile. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said the worst thing people in the West can do is assume that what happened in Russia couldn't happen in America or in any country in the world, it could. And uh, I think that it doesn't mean it definitely will happen, but I think that we have to be like this priest I mentioned in, in Live Not By Lies. I dedicate the book to mm -hmm. him, Father Tomislav Kolakovic. He was a Catholic priest from Croatia. He, uh, in 1943, he was doing anti-Nazi work in Zagreb. The Gestapo came after him. Mm -hmm. He escaped to Slovakia, his mother's homeland, took the last name Kolakovic and started teaching in the Catholic university there. He told the Catholics, the, his students, the good news is the Germans are going to lose this war. The bad news is when it's over, the Soviets are going to be ruling this country. <laughs> the, first th the first thing they're going to do is come after the church, and we got to be ready for them. Hmm. So what Kolakovich did was organize students into small cells uh, where they would not only pray, but they would study the world around them in light of what they knew to be true from the church's teachings. And they prepared themselves. They even did things like learn how to resist interrogations because the, Father Kolakovich knew what was coming. Wow. The bishops in Slovakia said, Kolakovich, you're being alarmist. You're scaring people. Mm -hmm. But he wouldn't listen to them because he had studied the Soviet Union, the Soviet mindset. And he knew that as soon as communism took over, that would be it for the church. Well, sure enough, 1948, the Iron Curtain drops. Uh, the first thing the communists do, come after the church. And uh, the people who were in Father Kolakovich's resistance cells, they became the backbone of the of the underground church and the only meeting for resistance in Slovakia until the end of communism. I think right now we are at a Kolakovich moment in this country. I don't know when it's going to happen, when the, the equivalent of the Iron Curtain is going to fall. We have got to use the freedom we have now to start organizing. Okay, we are talking to Roger. The book is called Live Not By Lies, A Manual for Christian Dissidents. Um, it's available everywhere. We'll have the, in the show notes, we'll have the link. Before we let you go, Rod, there's one thing I want you to listen to. This is a part of the, the liberation celebration that happened a couple of days ago. This is in Washington, D.C. That is a woman on top of a Range Rover or something, a young white woman, college age, saying, we're free! So... <laughs> Tell me something. 
Is it possible that she believes that she was liberated two days ago? Of course they do. These people are nuts. They, they, it is ridiculous. They, they live in this, in their heads and they live on Twitter and social media. And they're the ones who say Trump is a fascist. And I mean, you look at them and you think, could this possibly be true? But it is true. I've talked to these people. I hear from them. They really, uh, it's a dream world. And then when you talk to people who actually lived under oppression, under communist oppression, you realize <laughs> what loonies these leftists are. I'll tell you this before we go. I, I had to go give a talk at a, a university, state university here in South Louisiana, where I live. It's a pretty red state, right? Mm-hmm. So I went down the bayou to get to give this talk. And this was Ed Ogeron, Coach Ed Ogeron country. This is really conservative Louisiana. But at this university, the college Republicans had, had chalked on the sidewalk, some, MAGA, vote Trump 2020, something completely anodyne. The social justice warriors on campus went berserk. There was a three-hour student government meeting. It ended up with the... Um, with the college Republican head and his girlfriend, who's an officer in college Republicans, they had to be escorted to class by police officers <laughs> because they had so many death threats. Now, listen, this university, it's not kids from all over the, the country. It's 95% kids from South Louisiana. Where are they getting this craziness? It's coming from social media and right. it's messed with their heads in a very serious way. Oh, man. All right. Roger, you can follow him on Twitter at Roger. That's R-O-D-D-R-E-H-E-R. The book, once again, is Live Not By Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. There's so much more to talk to you about, Rod, and we'll talk to you down in the future very soon, I hope. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rod. It's a pleasure. Keep the faith, guys, and keep hold that line. We need each other uh, and will need each other in the years to come, so I'm happy to come back. Thank you. There he was, the man... Roger, it was nice to take time out for us. We actually had some technical problems before we even started, so we burned a little time there, which sucks. Um, it, but we figured it out, and he was real. It was just cool, you know. You can tell the jerks from the cool people pretty quickly. And um, and I thought he was. Uh, I thought it was. It, it was interesting. And what jumped out at me, Alice, is that, and this is one of the themes of his book, is that this, um, and he calls it totalitarianism, mm-hmm. is. And it never occurred to me to that these were the same things, um, but it's all this craziness and this agenda gets pushed into every single aspect of your life. Right. So that's in the book. He makes a distinction between authoritarianism and totalitarianism, which people apparently mix them up. But authoritarianism is, you know, this like appeal to authority that that you have like a dictator running the country but you can have that and still not have totalitarianism totalitarianism is that um politics is literally everything it's in every aspect of your life and the left is very explicit that that's what they say they want to do the personal is political they want you to examine your racist actions in your everyday life they want you to you know examine how the things you do every day are political the choices you make the stores you shop at the things you say to your family and friends the dinner you make the halloween costume you wear the clothing you put on it's all political so and so that means that it's all you know open to be grounds for cancellation for you, basically. So so that's kind of the idea of like what totalitarianism is. And basically in the book, he interviews all these people from like Eastern Bloc countries that resisted communism and asked them, how how do you do it, <laughs> basically? You know, it's it, it was, I was thrown back a, a, a little bit because, you know, he's a chill guy. He's not a bombastic guy. He's a, you know, calm thinker. And the fact that he said that the pain is coming, like it's really coming. Oh, yeah. Have to be ready for suffering. It's like, Jesus. That was uh, okay. I mean, but that makes sense. If, we, mm-hmm. if we're talking about people who feel that they've been essentially enslaved in the last four years, they feel that way. Now, this is all psychotic uh, energy uh, radio waves in their heads, of course. <laughs> right. But they believe they were. They believe uh-huh. that this all happened. They were living under fascism. They're just like, you know the resistance under the Nazis and stuff. And they believe that when Donald Trump said the, the media is the enemy of the American people, they believe that irreparable damage was done. 
they believe that there was real harm when he said that. Real harm took place. With everything he said, real, they thought real harm took place. All of these, you know, and it was words, and many of the words were dumb words, but still, these are simply words. But they believe that these words are equivalent to real actions. So Trump's rhetoric equals slavery. Right, and Rod actually talks about that in the book, too, um, about how part of the left's philosophy of life is that language changes reality. So, you know, if you use language that has racist origins, you're propping up racism, and that's how they get to the point where they think that, like, using certain words is literally violence and why they're so obsessed with the meanings of words and changing word meanings over time and stuff. So it's really a great book. It's Live Not by Lies. You definitely want to read it. I'm going to give it to a bunch of people for Christmas. And Alice, oh, Christmas? You're not going to wait till February? <laughs> Which is when your birthday is, by the way. Send presents to Alice Shattuck, uh, care of. We need a P.O. box, Alice, so we can get graft from, because um, we got our first, you, we got our first book sent to us, right? We got our first book sent to us. and um... So now what you really do is use the Howie Car model. And you send that book out to a contest winner. Although you probably want the book. But... I want the book. I'm keeping it. I need to reread it for tips on how to resist totalitarianism. <laughs> well, we're going to have a bunch of other guests coming down the line as, as, as we move along. But it is fascinating, just in the last few days, of course, how the suddenly the dark pall of negativity and evil has been removed, has, has been blown away from the consciousness of everybody. And... And and now people are completely have completely changed their outlook on what their what their reality is. Even though nothing has changed, and nothing was bad. In fact, things were really good. I mean, these are people who had four hundred one ks that went through the roof the last four years. These are people who who were until the pandemic, who were and some of them still are making a lot of money and enjoying cheap gasoline and travel and this and that. I mean, things were really good here. But they don't believe so. They believe that they were incarcerated in some kind of hell over the last four years. But now, now the new, the good people, characters back in the White House. So people, uh, you know, the, the, the gatekeepers like Brian Stelter from CNN can now reassure us. He can now, for instance, he's already talking to TJ Ducklow, who's going to be one of the press people in the new administration, the Biden administration. And Brian Stelter, who was so is so uh, huffy and in such a panic for the last four years of what this president has said and how this has been terrible for journalism, and we checked facts and we are we are neutral arbiters of the truth, etc. Mr. Stelter, oh man, he and T.J. Ducklow, this was uh, embarrassing to watch. Question about the media and Biden's relationship with the media: Have you and your colleagues talked about uh, what? kind of tone you want to set from the very beginning, given that for the past four years, President Trump has diminished and derided and demeaned the American media, calling them the enemy of the people. Have you all talked about how that new tone will be set by Biden? Uh, that's even, even in asking the question, it's so perfect. <laughs> Have you talked about a new tone for the White House? Because the last one was evil, destructive, fiery, dangerous, irresponsible, fascistic, um, toxic, hellacious, everything terrible. So... Just, I'm just curious. Are you going to keep that one, or are you awesome? And if you are awesome, how awesome are you? And and, and his aides? Well, the president, like Biden, uh, believes that the media is a critical piece of our democracy. Oh, thank they you, TJ. That's so nice. He finally, finally, somebody acknowledges us for how critical we are. That transparency is incredibly important. You'll remember we opened all of our fundraisers this campaign. This transparency, transparency. We will get mm -hmm. to some of TJ Ducklow's transparency in just a moment. But we opened all our fundraisers to uh, to the press, all the fundraisers that we were going to open to the press. That is BS. This guy hid from the press. His VP candidate hid from the press. This administration, this campaign hid from the press. They literally, we gave Hillary Clinton crap four, five years ago for hiding and running away from cameras and having rope lines that kept the press away. This guy was hidden. He was underground in a fallout shelter away from the press. And they, all they would do is they'd sit in front of his house with the little satellite trucks and everything else. And they'd wait. And somebody would come up, walk up the stairs and show a little note and say, there's a lid today, guys. Sorry, we're all done. And they would say, okay, that's it. This is just beautiful. And Mr. Fact Checker, Brian Selter, the TJ, no one's fact checking you on any of this stuff. You were just Blacking out the press one week ago, 
and it is all clear. Stelter has no memory. None of the media has any memory. Open, uh, to press so that folks could see what was going on and what was being said. Um, he also believes, though, that the media's job is to hold him accountable. He's there to do the people's work. And, you know, he, he welcomes... Hold him accountable, accountable. you know, it, it, unless you ask about, let's say, uh, Hunter Biden, or if you ask about packing the courts, or if you ask about the filibuster, or if you ask about something sensitive, or if you say ask a question that pisses him off at all. And then he doesn't want you to hold him accountable anymore. Hold him accountable. That is, If that's not dog whistling and winking... <sighs> What is? Hey, guys, hold me accountable. Wink. Yeah, we will. Wink. <laughs> that relationship, he welcomes their role, the media's role in our democracy. And I think it will be, frankly, the polar opposite of what we've seen over the last four years. He's being frank. The media has an incredibly important job to do. Um, pre President-elect uh, Biden agrees that... Brian, you can step in any time, by the way. <laughs> Feel free. You are the, the expert on media and journalism, right? Nope. You know why he's not stepping in? Because uh, he agrees? Well, it's... Certainly he agrees. He's not stepping in because as far as he's concerned, everything T.J. Declo is saying is right. Nobody's lying to him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or, or, and believes that, and and I think you'll see. Um, I think you'll see a huge change in the culture and the way that this White House treats the media. Uh, press advocacy groups like Reporters Without Borders have already said Biden should come out and immediately stand up for press freedom in a very vivid way. But how do you think he can heal the country? How can he restore trust when there is this alternative? Stand up for press freedom in a very vivid way. Donald Trump was the most accessible person to ever, ever. Uh, it, you know, do, do the job at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Maybe there was a time when Andrew Johnson was president when, like, you were allowed to have a picnic in the White House, you know, when it was so open. Donald Trump, do you think he is A, likes press attention, or B, doesn't like <laughs> press attention? To his great uh, disservice, Donald Trump did long interviews with Chris, Chris Wallace and Jonathan Swan and everybody. He never stopped on the way into the helicopter to talk to the press. On the way out of the helicopter, talks to the press. This guy it was, you know, he would turn uh, photo sprays, photo ops in cabinet meetings into live pressers. It was incredible, incredible, the access they got. And you have these moron Euro weenies saying, make sure he's, he stands up for freedom of the press because, What? <laughs> this guy has been the most press-friendly person in the world, except he said mean things about them. Yeah, there's people in your backyard murdering journalists, okay, Europe? So just focus a little bit. Trump saying angry things on Twitter doesn't count as persecution, frankly. Like you're, We had an American press in the last four years, especially the White House press, who became superstars for yelling at the despot. They right. yelled at him. He became famous. Jim Acosta got into shouting matches. April, shouting matches. April Ryan, Yamich Alcindor. I mean, how do they think that would go if they did that in a presser with Putin in Russia? Right. I think it would go <laughs> south quickly. <laughs> I mean, the universe of information, these QAnon conspiracy theories, this extremist content all over the internet that's all Jesus. about voter fraud and all about crazy conspiracy claims. Voter fraud now is extremist content. You know, it, two and a half years of Russia voter fraud tampering and stuff like that. That was not extremist. Those were the questions that needed to be asked. You know? Oh, right. Horse I mean, bleep. I mean, a bunch of people. And I mean, I know seemingly perfectly normal people in Massachusetts, hardcore liberals who legitimately were waiting day after day for like Robert Mueller to personally drag Trump Jr. out of the White House in handcuffs. They, I mean, like this is the stuff they thought was going to happen because they live in the other side of the coin fantasy land from the QAnon people. It, they really do. It's all it's all the same stuff. It's just They are QAnon. That's they yeah. absolutely are. Has he thought about this information environment that is so poisoned? Well, look, I think when when a record number of That's his second freaking question. Can you imagine? All these other terrible forces, the liars, the fringe crazies, etc. Will you do these horrible people and things 
that are voices of dissent from what we feel, especially. Will you castigate them, please, now and crap on them for a second, please, TJ? Well, sure, I will, Brian. I'm happy to. We work together in this. <laughs> Voters showed up to vote for Vice President Biden uh, and Senator Harris. They voted for truth. They voted, as the vice president likes to say on the stump, they voted uh, for, for truth over lies. Absolutely. And so here's TJ Ducklow uh, giving us some truth over lies a couple months back, talking to Brett Baer about Joe Biden, who was obviously reading off of teleprompters at the time. Here's some truth over lies starting TJ Ducklow. Has Joe Biden ever used a teleprompter during local interviews or to answer Q&A with supporters? Brett, we are not going to engage. This is this is straight from the Trump campaign. Yeah, talking they're points. using and, it. And what it does and what it does, Brett, is it's trying to distract the American people. I'm just from, they're from, using from it. They the talk about it every day. Can you well, say yes or no? That's because they talk about it every day, Brett, because they don't have a coherent strategy. Uh, well, you have strategy. an answer. Yes or no? Brett, they talk about it every day because they don't have a coherent argument for why Donald Trump deserves re-election, deserves four more years. Mm. We know that he lied to the American people. We know that he has not uh, shown leadership during I'm this crisis. I'm not hearing the truth yet, TJ. I assume it's coming at the end. And they are desperate to throw anything they can against the wall to try to distract from that fact. I understand, but you can't answer the question. Brett, I am not going to allow okay. the Trump campaign to funnel their questions through Fox News and get me to respond to that. <laughs> well, TJ, we appreciate your time and thank you for coming on. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, thanks, for, the, this thanks evening. for the truth, TJ. The composition of the Supreme Court is a matter of our constitutional structure as a nation, and it is a materially important question. What is the Biden campaign stance on the composition of the Supreme Court? Great. That's, that's a great question, actually. We'll hear some truth in a moment from T.J. Ducklow mm -hmm. on that question. Is Joe Biden satisfied with it? Sure. Well, look, I think it's important to take a step back and, and to talk about the fact uh. that a number of things have to happen before this is a conversation that is really relevant. Um, it's a hypothetical. And what is not hypothetical <laughs> is millions of people are already voting in this election. Um, the majority of the, of the American people, in fact, believe that the person that's elected on November 3rd, that is who should uh, appoint the next Supreme Court justice. Well, you know, you considering that you're Harris, working for the person who wants to be elected on November 3rd, this is not hypothetical for the guy who wants to be president what is the campaign's perspective on the composition of the court i'm glad you asked that and i'm not going to answer it this should be an easy question well look what I what I mean by that is it assumes that this fight we are in right now, it assumes that we lose that fight. And we are focused on uh, underscoring just how important uh, what we're going to see this week is. As I was so that's your friend T.J. Ducklow now, who's going to be, if not the chief flack, a chief flack for the Biden administration. He just walked all over Brian Stelter. He sees no problem with it. He thinks he's been absolutely open and transparent, transparent. But it's not just there that has happened. Kate Bedingfield is the big cheese when it comes to the comms team for Biden. It's not constitutional what they're doing. We should be focused on what's happening right now. This court is being packed now by the Republicans after the vote has already begun. I'm going to stay focused on it so we don't take our eyes off the ball here. Right, I want to get to the idea of adding justices to the court in a second, but he said it's not constitutional what they're doing. How is it not constitutional what they're doing? His point is that the people have an opportunity to weigh in on this constitutional process through their vote. And we are now in the midst of the election. Millions of people have already cast their votes. And you see that the vast majority of people say that they want... Kate Pettingfield, how is it not constitutional what they're doing? It's absolutely explicitly constitutional. It's the person who wins the election on November 3rd to nominate the justice. That's a poll. That's seat. not the Constitution. So by, by trying to... By trying to, that's, that is their, con their, there's the constitutional process of advising consent. The American people get to have their say by voting for president, by voting for senators. We are now 23 days from the election. Right, but it's not Again, unconstitutional. Millions of, millions of votes, millions of votes. They're being, voters are being denied their constitutional right to have a say in this process. They when elected the Republicans the Senate. are trying to ram through, are trying to ram through a, a nominee who, by the way, is going to change the makeup of the court. And we see time and time again, poll after poll shows that most Americans... All truth, all facts. CNN has your back, right? ...vehemently disagree with this. They again, believe again, Kate, that's that a the poll. vote should happen on November 3rd. That's not what the word constitutional means. Cons that constitutional the, doesn't mean I like it, it or I don't like it. It means it's according to the U.S. Constitution. There's nothing unconstitutional about what the U.S. Senate is doing. 
They are being denied. The American people are being denied their opportunity. Okay, Flack. Anyway, you get it. Um, So why don't they deserve a yes, no answer about whether or not the vice president would support adding to the number of Supreme Court justices? Well, the vice president has addressed this a number of times, John. You know, he has said this is the conversation that uh, the political press wants to have. This is the conversation that, you know, Republicans on Capitol Hill want to have. They want to try to have a more horse bleep. So I've always been very honest. These are flax. These are not human beings. Flax lie for a living. Just like the ones that made you angry, Kaylee McEnany and Sean Spicer and, uh, and Huckabee Sanders, remember? Oh, my God, they shouldn't be allowed in restaurants or to have book signings. They shouldn't be allowed anywhere. We hate them. They should never be able to be made comfortable because they're lying to us. Well, these people came lying, too, and they're going to be lying again and again. And to think, by the way, that, no, now it's a time where we're going to have character back in the White House. No, because you're going to have these characters, right, else Back Good in the one, White honey. House. Thank Good you. One. Um, so no, this is, it's the same horse bleep and it's going to be the same from President Biden and the White House flax and from, there's going to be their version of Kellyanne in there as well. So I'm not, and I'm not saying that that's, I'm adult enough to realize that's just how it is. You're in Washington, DC. These are communications people. These are liars and spinners. That's, you've got to have them if you're going to be in Washington, DC, considering the way that things are situated now. And that's just it. But don't come to me beeping your horn, telling me that you're... Yeah. yeah. You're no more free than you just were, okay? Because the new boss is just same as the old boss, okay? It's the same damn thing. It's Washington, D.C. politics. And your guy, Mr. Character, is a liar. Just like the last guy. Just like the guy before him. Just like the guy before him, just like the guy before him, just like the next girl will be, and however long it takes for that to happen. Did you see, by the way, last night that um, Apple was returning the answer to people when they asked how old the president was? It told them that Kamala Harris is 56 years old. No, I'd heard something about that, but I think that's fantastic. <laughs> so they had to rush in and fix the glitch, mm-hmm. quote unquote. So, how did that happen? That's I know. Hey, Siri, how old is Kamala Harris? Mm hmm. No, not These are going that. to happen, How you know. People, yes, yeah. and you know it's funny. It reminds me of the um, Four Seasons landscaping thing. Uh huh. When they, when the administration supposedly booked a function and in in, instead of being at the Four Seasons Hotel in at Four Seasons landscaping, which I find forensically fantastic. I could see, I definitely could. What I need to know about that is like when you call the landscaping people, don't they have questions as to why you're going to stand in front of there? You know, with a, like a bus and throngs of people, like, uh, do they have an audiovisual department? Do a lot of people give speeches in front of the landscaping place? Do they have chairs and stuff? Oh yeah, it's perfectly normal. Yeah, we do uh, bushes and we do peat moss and we do large uh, press gatherings. Yeah, why? Yeah, it's perfectly. Wouldn't somebody, either the stupid scheduler for Trump or the landscaping person, say, "Wait, just be sure we're talking about the same thing, right?" Because I've been in landscaping now for 26 years, and I've got to be honest with you. This is my first huge media avail in front of the store, and we don't know why. And you'd think that that if you're like if you're going to have a, a presser at the Four Seasons, that somebody will say, "Yeah, I'm going to put you on to the sales and banquets catering people," and they'll block out the room and set up water stations and get AV involved, and there's going to be some billing and money it's etc that we need in some logistics because security is going to be there and this and that i mean i don't it is remarkable to me the amount of incompetency that would have to be involved in 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 making this transaction happen but i mean okay i think it's funny i i I like to believe that it's true but 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 you know what's going to happen now is because that's the Trump team, right? And it's part of dunking on Trump because they just lost. Look how stupid they all are. Of course, isn't it fitting that this is how it all ends? Now, keep watching, lefties. Keep watching. Because I was watching from 2008 to 2016. And keep your focus. while you're, You can keep on spiking the football and talking dunk, dunking on Trump and Trumpers and whatever. But your guy's going to be up there soon. And... 
keep your focus on this White House because I'm going to have some questions. I'm going to I'm going to want to go over a few things as it happens, because not only is every administration, just about every administration, prone to screw ups, incompetency, uh, incompetence. Is it incompetence? Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, just bureaucratic ham-handedness, etc. But this is Joe Biden we're talking about. He's your guy at the top. The second in charge is Kamala Harris. So this is going to be an interesting and I think extremely enjoyable ride. But uh, Joe Biden was uh, today giving his first policy really talk to the uh, to the American audience about masks. God, I mean, this is going to be vicious if this is how monotonous this is going to be. Wear a mask. The head of the CDC warned this fall that for the foreseeable future, a mask remains the most potent weapon against the virus. It used to be also and social distancing, but in considering 23 million Americans just went out, got plastered on Saturday night, falling all over each other, they've decided to carve that out of the uh, talking points for the time being. Today's news does not change that urgent reality. We, I won't be president until January. It kind of does, though. It kind of does change the urgent reality a little bit if there's a vaccine on the horizon. 20th. But my message today is to everyone is this. It doesn't matter who you voted for, whether you stood, who, where you stood before Election Day. It doesn't matter your party, your point of view. We can save tens of thousands of lives if everyone would just wear a mask for the next few months. Not Democrat or Republican lives, American lives. You know, maybe we'd save the life of a person who uh, stocks a shelf at your local grocery store. Maybe it saves the life of a member of your place of worship. Maybe it saves the lives of one of your children's teachers. Maybe it saves your life. So please, I implore you, wear a mask. Do it for yourself. Do it for your neighbor. A mask is not a political statement, but it is a good way to start pulling the country together. It is? So we can go back to (laughs) celebrating birthdays and holidays together. Wait, wait a second. I saw a whole bunch of celebrating. We could have thrown everybody's birthday and holiday into that was going on Saturday. That was why it was morning tonight. It was the biggest thing I've ever, ever seen. Mm-hmm. I did go. So we can attend sporting events today. So we can get back to the lives and connections we shared before the pandemic. It doesn't matter whether or not we always agree with one another. It doesn't matter who you voted for. No, it doesn't matter at all. Those are some of the people who, um, you know, took advantage, took advantage of the situation who Joe Biden didn't end up addressing today. And you'd think you figured in the, in the in the spirit of saving lives, he would want to. But it did not happen. Um, yeah, I'm really interested in this whole thing with the Democrats now being big anti-vaxxers. I don't you know, Kamala called into question the you know, how much she trusted a vaccine during the Trump administration. So now Pfizer has one they say is 90% effective that's going to get rolled out here, it's looking like. And like, what, are they not going to take it? I haven't heard any statements from them besides Biden saying masks are better, which seems pretty questionable to me. Um, You know, I've never seen anything like saying that masks reduce risk 90%. I haven't seen that kind of numbers on masks, but but <laughs> um, an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. All right, Alice. Maybe the- that's a vaccine. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Is that what they're naming it? I just so you know, like, what's wrong with them? Are they going to really just let people not have the vaccine because you know it happened have under it. Trump? Correct. You can't have it. Can't trust this guy. Nope. Nope. That's over. You can that die as long as it's under the Trump administration. Exactly. We're free, and uh, yeah, you're. We're free to stop you from getting the vaccine as well. That's what you get. That's the first part of the pain that Roger was talking about. They were going to dispense onto you. All right, Alice. How do people uh, get us in? Can you? Will it, all the Roger stuff be in the show notes? Um, yes, I'll put everything in the show notes so you can find Rod Dreher's book and his Twitter and American Conservative magazine, which he is the editor of and stuff like that. We are Burn Barrel Pod on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash Burn Barrel Podcast, Alice Shattuck and Tom Shattuck on Twitter, uh, Burn Barrel Podcast at gmail.com. Nice hitting of the post, Alice. I try. 
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.